It sounds like you're uniquely qualified for this position. I am a professional children's book reader at this point, so I can't think of a better person for the job. I wrote that in the copy for the newsletter, and I was like, Mike, I hope you don't think this is an insult, but I also think it's true. fellow sleuths to meddling adults, a game show where we grab our flashlights and go head to head to test our wits against the prowess of fictional young detectives for charity. I'm your host, Mike Schubert, Lord of Children's Novels, and I am notoriously bad at solving children's mysteries, which is why I am safely behind the judges' table, letting others duke it out instead. Our contestants this week are my fellow multi-dudes, Amanda McLaughlin and Eric Silver. Today's mysteries are from Encyclopedia Brown number two. The prize pool is $50. Amanda will be playing for City Harvest. Eric will be playing for the North Brooklyn Angels. Now, without further ado, let's put the pedal to the metal and meet our guests. Amanda and Eric, how's it going? Hello. I understand what you were doing. I understand your jokes. <laughs> Can I have a free point, please? No, <laughs> though I will be dishing out bonus points. <laughs> Flattery is not one of them. Beans. I have no time for such things. This is too serious of a business to undertake. We have pretend mysteries to solve. See, speaking of serious business, I'm worried here that if we all have flashlights and we're looking at each other head to head, we're going to blind ourselves and then we won't know <laughs> how to respond to the criminals in the darkness around us. Well, what is that? You have one of those crank flashlights that don't really work that well? <laughs> oh, that's a bummer. I have uh, <laughs> blue light canceling glasses and your flashlight is all blue light. Ha <laughs> Damn it. Why did you replace my flashlight with a blue light? <laughs> that's how I did the, the crime. <laughs> when I was home with Barb and Joel for Christmas, our power randomly went out for a couple hours. So we had dinner by candle and flashlight. And Joel was very excited to use a crank one that he had gotten for free. One of those silly little engineering things. And it was a squeeze one. Joel was very excited. Classic and then Joel. it broke within 10 minutes and Barb was in peak <laughs> I told you so mode because she thought it was so silly. <laughs> was it weird that they, you guys spent the whole dinner talking about how great your co-host of horses, Eric Silver, <laughs> and how great and lovely he was as a house guest? That is 100% what happened. So let's move on to the game rather than Eric's head gets so big that it breaks the Google Hangout call. <laughs> Yeah, my head's going to expand. It's going to go through the window and hit the computer and then sign us out. I'm genuinely worried that that could happen. So here's how the game works. I will be recapping five quick mysteries from Encyclopedia Brown that neither of you have read before. I'll lay out all the clues and ask for your accusations. Each correct guess will earn you points, but there are also bonus points at stake. If your guess matches my incorrect guess, you will earn one Misery Loves Company bonus point, and I'll also award bonus points wherever I see fit, such as a completely ridiculous guess guess, or a very spicy burn. So taunt away, have fun, have at it. At the end of the five rounds, if there is a tie in place, we will break the tie in the only fitting way with a sudden death riddle. But let's get into the first case, the case of the forgetful sheriff. Now, we learned about this trip in the first episode of Meddling Adults, but Encyclopedia Brown is currently on vacation in Texas because... Yes. <laughs> he was reading a book about limestone in Texas, and his parents decided they wanted to go on vacation, and Encyclopedia Brown said, how about Texas? And his mom said, sure. So here they are, and they're doing various cowboy-related activities. 
one of which is a guided tour while they're on horseback, led by someone named Mr. Scotty. At a certain point in the tour, they get to an area that Mr. Scotty calls the Outlaw Cemetery. He says that it was named as such because this is where a bunch of outlaws were killed by a heroic sheriff. So the outlaws held up a bank. Sheriff Wiggins, the town sheriff, immediately set out to stop the desperados. A citizen happened to enter the sheriff's office and saw that he forgot his six-gun. So the citizen rounded up a crew to help the unarmed sheriff. But when that crew arrived at the scene, all five outlaws were dead. The sheriff had taken care of all of them. Sheriff Wiggins said that the outlaw lookout spotted him, shot him twice in the left arm, but then Sheriff Wiggins got control of the outlaw's gun and shot him through the heart. The other five outlaws rolled up and Sheriff Wiggins got them each with one shot, bang, 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 laying waste to all of them. The town gave a dinner for the sheriff to celebrate him. He said he didn't deserve the honor. He just wanted to return the stolen gold. But Mr. Baker, the bank president, disagreed. He said that since this is your last meal, you better eat well. He whispered something to the three largest men in the room who seized Sheriff Wiggins and stated that he would be hung at sunrise. Mr. Scotty, who is telling the story, says that this is quite the puzzle and who else could solve it? Well, Encyclopedia Brown is there and he can solve it. Encyclopedia Brown was hesitant because he didn't want to come off as being too much of a smarty pants. Oh, first time. <laughs> first time Encyclopedia Brown. It occurred to him. No, this is canonically in the introduction to Encyclopedia Brown. It says that he was always weary about coming off as too much of a smarty pants. And like Julia, that is so relatable to me. <laughs> yeah, but then he wrote that whole series of novels about himself. So does it really, really kind of shakes out? David J. Sobel wrote them about Encyclopedia Brown. He never would have written these autobiographically. He's way too humble. Boo. Oh, my God. <laughs> so Encyclopedia Brown was hesitant to speak up because last time on the trip, he corrected Mr. Scotty and stuff, but Chief Brown says, no, it's okay. So Encyclopedia Brown says that he knows the answer and he knows what Mr. Baker said to these people to cause them to hang him. What did Mr. Baker say? How did he know that this sheriff was full of baloney? First of all, I think it's bonkers that you would forget your gun in your office, <laughs> like kind of important, right? For being a Western sheriff, there's no due process in the Wild West. It's just like bang, bang, that's it. That sounds like something you need to remember, like even more so than forgetful. It's very fishy. I have my guess. Okay, what is your guess, Amanda? Actually, can you real quick read the paragraph right after the outlaws were all shot? The town gave a dinner for the sheriff who stated that he didn't deserve the honor. He just wanted to return the stolen gold. Mr. Baker, the bank president, disagreed. He says that since this is the lawman's last meal, he'd better eat well. Then he whispered something to the three largest men in the room who seized Sheriff Wiggins to be hung at sunrise. Okay. My guess is that he was lying about it because if they all had six shooters, then he gave off seven shots. Like, he was shot twice in the arm, he shot the lookout, and then the five outlaws. So there's more than six shots involved from one gun. Okay. Eric, what is your guess? Yeah, that was my guess as well, but I don't know why that would make him be a criminal necessarily. I guess if as a sheriff, he has to use the gun that's like given to him. It's like, you know, that you count the bullets like with police. I'm trying to think what did he do that was that was illegal? 
I mean, maybe he wasn't actually shot or he faked it before or afterward. Um, because if he wasn't shot twice, then there are six bullets for the six outlaws. But then what? why would that be a crime? You'd just be like, ah, I, I shoot you because I'm evil. Like, were they not a crit? Were they not outlaws? Maybe, oh, that's what it is. Maybe he was trying to, like, steal gold from people who weren't outlaws. Maybe so. I don't know. I guess that's the only thing. I, I agree with you about the shots. That was what I noticed. But I don't know why he's a criminal. So I don't know if this is in scope, Mike, but I was going to guess that Eric was going to say something about the gold standard or the silver <laughs> standard because he loves talking about the silver standard and the word gold was mentioned. <laughs> okay. That is not in the realm of the answer. I do appreciate it, though. But let's go to the actual answer. I surprisingly got this one correct. It is that seven bullets were fired out of a six gun, so he couldn't be telling the truth. Now, what makes him a criminal is is that Encyclopedia reasoned the same as Mr. Baker, that the sheriff was secretly a member of the holdup gang. In riding after his outlaw partners, the lawman didn't bother to put on his gun because he didn't think he would need it. Then he had a falling out over the division of the loot, most likely. Getting a hold of the gun, he surprised and killed his partners. But before he could ride off with the gold, the crew of citizens reached him, so he made up the whole story about how it was just him working in the line of duty. Right. Got it. Logical leap. I don't know. That's kind of a logical yeah. leap Yeah, I mean, you noticed the gun was was gone. I was like, probably he wasn't shot, so I, I think it feels pretty, pretty even. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, because of your correct answers, I will be awarding each of you three points Ooh. for getting it correct. And I'm actually going to give Amanda a bonus point for a little bit of an inclination towards how he was evil and then also making fun of Eric. So the score now stands at four to three. See, listen, you don't need the gold standard. It's all just economics. <laughs> so I've been practicing for this. I've been watching a lot of crime shows and I listen oh, to great. the, the oh, pilot. Yeah. No, <laughs> Amanda watches <laughs> elementary all the time anyway. This wasn't preparation. Okay, fair enough. But I've been like harping on every word that you've been saying like, oh, that's the problem. And so when you were like, oh, yes, I was like, oh, what year is it? Uh, it, it was a mom. Um, uh, gold standard. So I'm just jumpy right now about clues. I've been doing that, too, as I read more and more of these Encyclopedia Brown novels. And I try to only pick the ones that are a little tricky. So I've been able to solve some of the easy ones. But still, I am looking at every single word like a hawk. And yeah. it's funny. It's like the word desperado's in there. <laughs> it's funny because these are children's books. So sometimes they just describe the colors of things to be interesting. But <laughs> in my brain, as you'll see in one of the future ones, my thought is, why is this purple? Why is this green? Is this important? After listening to episode one, though, I'm trying to think of like all of the esoteric stuff that I need to know. I was like, he was shot through the heart. <laughs> like that's a disrespectful kill in in terms of the Wild West, everyone knows that. Yeah, I was like, is anyone a citizen? It's what, what year is it? Is it a state? Is it not a state? I was like, oh, he was robbing it from the Native Americans who were living in that land. Yeah, like, uh, I the gold is that. too heavy to get away on just one horse. <laughs> and um... I am happy to report that so far, none of the mystery solutions have been utter bullshit or stuff you wouldn't know. It's just all of us overthinking it way too hard. I like the heaviness of the gold one because that's always the thing that people point out in heist movies that it's like, uh, and I say this all the time, we've been watching (laughs) heist movies just uh, as our quarantine activity. And I'm always like, wow, 
all those dollars must be pretty heavy. I don't know if they can carry all that. Whereas <laughs> as I am watching elementary all the time, I am like, that coffee cup is just empty. It's just empty. There's just nothing in that coffee cup. That's my biggest gripe with television. They never put water in the coffee cups. I get that you don't want to put an expensive drink in there, but put something that weighs it down. I don't get it. Every coffee cup is empty in every television program. I do understand that you don't want to have liquid spilling if someone knocks it over all over the props. Because like our friend works in set decoration and like it sucks to print out more than one you know binder of crime photos. But just put like ball bearings or sand. Yeah, put a tiny weight in there or something. Get a better prop cup that has some sort of, even a little bean bag in the bottom of it, something. It's my biggest gripe and I will never understand it. Anyway, we move on to the (laughs) second case. The case of the two-fisted poet. Oh, no. (laughs) Encyclopedia Brown is waiting for his junior partner, Sally, to show up so that they can deposit their earnings at the bank. For anyone that listened to episode one, we know that Sally Kimball is the true hero of the Encyclopedia Brown franchise. (laughs) She is a feminist icon. A kid rides by in his bicycle and parks it, says out loud, a poem. (laughs) Not exaggerating. Oh, so this was me in college. Okay, good to know. (laughs) He says, roses are red. Violets are blue. You can't solve cases without a clue. And then he rides off. Sally shows up and Encyclopedia Brown asks, who's that new kid? What's his name? And Sally says that his name is, and I shit you not, Percy Arbuthnot. That sucks. I hate that. Percy Arbuthnot. Arbuthnot. Good name. Encyclopedia says, yes, Percy. He recited a poem. I swear he made it up on the spot. Sally says, Percy is very smart. He went to school in England. Encyclopedia Brown says, good for him. Now let's go to the bank. <laughs> I like love an American. Encyclopedia Brown. Oh my God. <laughs> He's so sassy. Sally says that she's not going. Being a bodyguard isn't ladylike. And apparently Percy told her that. Percy is going to take Sally on a date to see Gone with the Wind. And they're going to travel to the movie theater in a taxi cab. About the date, Sally says, you can bet he won't be wearing sneakers, which I guess is a sign of fanciness when you're 12. I suppose. Or like owning more than one pair of shoes. But like, imagine how much money... I know that taxis are not a lot, but like as a 12 year old, I don't think I could fathom like having enough money to like get a car. No. Yeah. I didn't take a taxi until I was like 17. It's absurd. It's ridiculous. Unless this guy has some sort of job or parents that are giving him quite a hefty allowance. I don't understand. But we continue. Encyclopedia Brown thinks that something is fishy. So he rides his bike to the movie theater and waits for the cab. Not the best look of Encyclopedia Brown, but he usually has his heart in the right place. So we're going to give him a pass for now. So he sees the cab approaching the movie theater, but it stops two blocks away from the theater, which he also thinks is fishy. So he starts walking towards where they got off. And as he gets close enough to hear what's happening, he sees Percy and Sally get approached by a big boy, and that is how he is described, a big boy. Capital B, capital B, big boy. (laughs) That's also my gender. (laughs) He jumps out of the bushes, and he's about to get into a fight with Percy. The big boy at one point calls Percy a canary kid, which I guess is an insult in the 1960s, but I'm not sure. That feels like a euphemism for gay. Oh, it super does. It super does. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't feel great. It's like like a predecessor to Twink. (laughs) Yikes. I googled it and nothing immediately came up, but yeah, it doesn't sound ideal. Percy takes off his glasses and puts them into the breast pocket of his suit coat. The fact that he has a suit coat, I hate this kid even more. Must have been going to country clubs, all kinds of stuff. He's got a fall on his glasses. (laughs) 
<laughs> so he then says, a poem. And now that we know he's British, I will recite this in a garbage British accent. You call me names, my strength you doubt. So pardon me while I knock you out. Uh, the two boys begin to fight, exchanging multiple body blows to the chest and stomach. And finally, the big boy is knocked out. Percy puts his glasses back on, fixes his hair, and starts walking again with Sally, who gazes at him with shining eyes. But then Encyclopedia Brown approaches them, and he whispers something into Sally's ear. She switches from being smitten to being angry, and then calls Percy a phony. She says, you fixed that fight. It wasn't a real fight after all. Percy says, how dare you say such a thing? And then says, upon my honor, if you were a boy, I'd bash you good and proper. Sally says, forget I'm a girl. And she reaches out, grabs his nose and twists it. Hell Sally. Yeah. <laughs> Sally is perfect. Percy loses his temper, starts to get into a fighter stance. And then the narrator describes the fight as this, quote, the fight was short and sweet. Percy had no chance to slip in any poetry licks. He spent his time going down and getting up. At last, Sally put him down for keeps. Phony, she said, and marched off in a swirl of skirts. Nice. Incredible. I got two lines of a poem for you. First line is me hitting you. The second line is you hit the floor. <laughs> Percy's knocked out cold. Encyclopedia Brown wakes him up. And then Percy mutters, a poem. What was the mistake I made tonight? trying to show off how well I fight. How did Encyclopedia Brown know that Percy was full of crap? And what did he whisper into Sally's ear? I ask the two of you. I do have a guess, but I also want to, um, you can mic here. I don't know if you know about uh, editing and podcasts, but I think you can put this joke earlier to make it seem like I knew it right away. <laughs> I could do this, but now I'm not going to. <laughs> and so regarding the the um, the poem after he fell down, I feel like he's, he'll hold up his two fists and then he'll say, this is Octave and this is Sestet. And and that's a poem joke. Uh, uh-huh. Uh, yes, I know poetry. Ha ha. Those are the two parts of a sonnet. Ba- baby shoes never, never worn. <laughs> I have a poem for my guess. Yeah. You could tell from his wallet and you could tell by his collar, he definitely paid that guy a bunch of dollars. He definitely paid him off. Okay, but what is the proof? How did Encyclopedia Brown know? I think that he put his glasses in his front pocket. He would have fallen on the glasses if he was actually in a fight. So like in anticipation before knowing they would fight, he put he took glasses off. Yeah, like if you were going to have your glasses, you would have given it to, he would have given it to Sally, I think. Okay, I think that Encyclopedia Brown knew because he had the cab stop two blocks away near some bushes so the kid could jump out at him. Versus I'm assuming like on Main Street or by the movie theater, there would be nowhere for the kid to be lurking. Okay. My guess was that because it was a recited poem, that's what gave it away to Encyclopedia Brown. Mm. Because this guy doesn't do stuff on the fly. It has been established that he recites poems that he's written previously. Okay, so I, I see the logic in that. Mike, I thought you were going to say, um, before you revealed that you had Googled it, that you thought Canary Kid was a British insult. Therefore, ah. the bully must be his brother and also British. <laughs> <laughs> that's very good. That's very good. So I'm going to give Eric a bonus point because he is the closest to being correct that it is the glasses that is the clue giveaway that Encyclopedia Brown knew, but it wasn't 100% correct. Encyclopedia Brown knew that the other kid was pulling his punches because it said that they gave multiple blows to the chest and stomach. So if the big boy was actually punching him at full strength, the glasses would have been broken, but they were oh. fully intact. Yes. Yeah, you were close. I was pretty, I was almost there, yeah. You were almost there. So you get a bonus point, which has now tied the game 
at four to four. Let's go. So now we move on to the case of the wounded toe. Oh. So this is the opening paragraph to this mystery. I'm just going to read it verbatim. Charlie Stewart had the biggest tooth collection of any boy in Idaville. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's when Child Protective Services knew where to find him. <laughs> After every rain, he went off tooth hunting. Encyclopedia frequently went with him. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Is this, is this an urban legend? Are we in a spirits crossover again? I did pick this one because it was very spiritsy. Oh, man. I hate this. <laughs> the, the next quote is, The rainwater washes off the rain, explained Charlie. Sometimes you can see an opossum's tooth shining 50 feet away. I hate it. Wow. Now, we've met Charlie Stewart in the first Encyclopedia Brown book, but now we really get a peek behind the curtain of how he got his big tooth collection, whereas all we learned in the first edition was that he had a big tooth collection. Mm. This feels like Mindhunter, when you slowly yeah. learn disturbing details about yeah. characters. Like, oh, it's a man checking his mail. Oh, no, there's a finger in there. Yeah. <laughs> it's a pile of teeth. <laughs> no, don't worry. I found it after the rain near the river. It's fine. (laughs) You see. Now, Charlie didn't only use the rain to find his teeth. According to the narrator, he had a more scientific, and that's the word used, a more scientific method. He would take off his shoes and walk around barefoot because sometimes you can step on a tooth and then you'll know that you found one. Whereas if you're wearing shoes, you wouldn't necessarily feel it. I know this is a a wholesome quarantine podcast, but that definitely feels like a sex thing. (laughs) How? What? (laughs) It's bizarre and specific enough that in the back of my brain, I know that someone somewhere, that's their thing. Tooth foot sex, question mark? <laughs> I don't like this. These children are 11. Yeah, Amanda. <laughs> okay, it's not about them. It's about the, whatever. <laughs> I'm not the one walking around barefoot finding teeth with my feet. Yeah, let's focus on Charlie, not the weird things I put into Google. <laughs> it's the 60s. What else are you going to do? Truly. It's true. There's no LSD internet. LSD and then walk around finding teeth with your feet. Listen, if they had Instagram. This is their Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure actually Google was invented by someone typing in rain feet teeth. It's like, like I Find? Excuse, I can't help you with this. Well, if only there was a place I could find it. And then Stephen Google invented Google. Yeah. So they're going to a new area to find teeth. They are avoiding the garbage dump in particular <laughs> because Charlie used to spend a lot of time in the garbage dump until one day he got his toe stuck in an old dishwasher. Yep. And he oh. asked Encyclopedia Brown if this ever happened to him because, you know, this is very common. Encyclopedia says, no, I honestly can't say that I ever did, but I once caught my hand in a bed I was making. I had my mind on a case. He like did a a sick hospital corner and had his hand in there? I guess. It was such a tight fold. Or maybe it was like a Murphy bed and he was putting it back up and that would be a real pickle that he found himself in. I feel like Encyclopedia Brown is casing Charlie because he wants to be like, Felix, I'm going to be a real detective when I put this future murderer into jail. (laughs) (laughs) So they set out to find some teeth. (laughs) (laughs) Mike, Mike, you gotta stop using the word teeth here. It's making me laugh and it's very hard to get a good podcast recording. I don't know if you know about podcasts, but this is really a problem for me. Can you, maybe if you called the teeth chompers, that would be easier for us. (laughs) Bones? You know, the mouth bones? Let me just open my hand dandy thesaurus and I'll start using all of the synonyms for teeth I can find. It might be better. So Charlie and Encyclopedia Brown go out to find hardened calcium and... (laughs) Better, better. (laughs) And they are unsuccessful at first. Charlie only finds some mouth bones that he's found before. He has a full set of possum teeth already so he's all set. Encyclopedia Brown only finds junk. But then near the, and I shit you not, the ancient burial grounds in the woods. We can do better than that, team. (laughs) They find something worth keeping. 
he finds a felt hat just like those worn by Bugs Meany and the Tigers, who we all know is the local gang of ruffians and hooligans in Idaville, Indiana. Mm-hmm. So Charlie wants to leave because he's spooked by the burial ground, but Encyclopedia Brown sees a bullseye with a bunch of shot marks in it near a tree on the other side of the fence. Encyclopedia Brown and Charlie start to inspect it. To get a closer look at it, Encyclopedia Brown gets on Charlie's shoulders so he can peek over the fence. And while this is happening, Charlie feels a sharp pain in his foot and he starts bleeding. And they see that he hasn't stepped on a chomper like <laughs> Charlie was hoping, but instead he's been shot in the foot by an air rifle pellet. So Encyclopedia Brown helps Charlie up. They go to the doctor. The doctor bandages him up and suggests that Charlie should get one of his old shoes so that they can cut a hole into it so he can keep walking around with his bandaged foot. You know, it's the 60s and this is healthcare. Charlie's mom asks Encyclopedia to go get the shoe and says that Charlie has an old pair of blue shoes in his room. So Encyclopedia leaves to do so, but as he leaves the doctor's office, he sees Duke Kelly, who Charlie recognizes as one of the tigers, pacing outside and looking worried. So Encyclopedia gets an idea. He asks Duke to get one of Charlie's old shoes. Now the narrator clarifies that Duke is Charlie's neighbor, so this is one, not a weird ask, and two, it wouldn't be super strange for him to go into the house and I guess talk to Charlie's dad and get the shoe. Mm-hmm. Encyclopedia relays the information to Duke that was given by Charlie's mom that he wants to get an old blue shoe and it's in Charlie's room, which is on the second floor. Duke comes back with the shoe, and Encyclopedia Brown takes it, gives it to Charlie, it fits, but then he turns to Duke and says that he's about to be in a heap of trouble because, quote, like every criminal, you made one mistake. What was the mistake? How did Encyclopedia Brown know? I know the mistake. What's the mistake? Do you know the mistake? Are you putting, you're putting me on the spot? Well, I want to know if you know the mistake. Oh, I know the mistake. What's the mistake? All right, let's say it at the same time. One. Okay. Okay, <laughs> yes. All right, I'm ready. Huh. Okay. One, two... Three. He How knew what he side of the shoe it was. It was. Yes. Oh. Ah, correct. You have both gotten it correct. You have both earned three points. The game is still tied at seven to seven. I got it wrong. I had misread the information exchange. I didn't realize that Encyclopedia Brown told Duke specifically that the shoe was blue. So I thought, how else would Duke know to get the blue shoe unless he had seen Charlie wearing blue shoes to know that the blue shoes are Charlie's. But yeah, I was incorrect in that. How would he know to bring back the correct shoe, because the key piece of information is that he only brought one. And in my brain, I gave Duke too much credit and figured he would bring both shoes. Right. I can't believe he didn't bring both shoes. Yeah. That feels weird. Just like every criminal, he made a mistake. And that's what shows you crime never pays, especially when you make a mistake. I thought what you were going to say was the end of this story was that Charlie went home and his teeth were missing. Oh, no. (laughs) And I'm like... Like, yeah, it's pretty obvious how Duke took the teeth that we know. <laughs> Look, I don't think that the books would go so far as to put in something so sad as Charlie losing his collection of molars and canines and whatever the technical term of front teeth are. And uh, possum biteies. Mm-hmm. And now that I've run out of synonyms for teeth, we move on to <laughs> our fourth mystery, the case of the stomach puncher. Oh my God. Oh. Who punched him in the stomach? We're going to find out. His own granddaughter. <laughs> 
It was the friends we made along the way. The milkman. <laughs> the first paragraph of this case is, quote, It was very unusual for Herb Stein to walk into the Brown Detective Agency. Herb was Idaville's junior bicycle champion. Usually he came riding up at top speed. He was the only boy in town who wore out the seat of his pants before his sneakers. What? A. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thought you said Herb. Which one? <laughs> of a name. B, my brain obviously thinks that anyone named Herb is 55 or older, but it's the 60s, so I really had to roll that one back. Mm -hmm. I like that Herb farted so hard he blew down his pants. <laughs> what I've learned about Idaville, Indiana in this book is that there are too many obscure shops and there are too many specific competitions that take place. Because if you can be the junior bicycle champion, that means they also have the senior bicycle champion of the town, in addition to just having the bicycle champion. No internet, Mike. What are you going to do? Collect teeth? <laughs> I don't know if this is just how the 60s rolled. Before we had video games, we collected teeth and we competed at bicycle races. And we're like, wow, that kid's butt is showing, but his sneakers are fine. Weird. I also really appreciated that it never clarifies that it's a race. It just says that he's the bicycle champion, which makes me feel like it's more equestrian than biking. And he has to do very various bike activities. There's the bike tricks. There's the bike race. There is polishing his bike. Disassembling and reassembling your bike. There's dressage of the bike. <laughs> Encyclopedia asks, quote, who grounded you? Which is great. And then Herb says, Biff Logan, Biff stole my bicycle. I'm glad that the two bullies in this town are Bugs Meanie and Biff Logan. Also, I think it's very sweet that uh, Encyclopedia realized that his friend Herb has no bicycle and that sucks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And grounded you sounds like he's a pilot, so I'm on board with the story. Better than the teeth one. <laughs> hey, who clipped your wings, friend? Right! So Herb gives him the 25 cents and he says that he's going to more than earn it on this case. Encyclopedia says, why? Is it dangerous? And Herb says, only around the belt line. You've heard of Biff Logan. If he doesn't like you, he smacks you in the belly. Pow! Uh, oh. Just like an open hand slap in the belly. <laughs> I mean, I don't want it to happen to me. So that's what's confusing is that earlier in the story, they say it's a slap, but then later in the story, they say it's a punch, which feels very different. A punch in the gut feels actually vicious. A slap in the belly feels very silly. This feels like, though, that Herb was riding by and he got hit in the belly. And regardless, <laughs> it's very dangerous. Well, Herb never actually got punched. He just got his bike stolen. So, you know, his belly's intact, thankfully. Right, but I thought that it was, this was like a GTA style, like <laughs> taking them out of the vehicle. Wasted. Gush, gush, yeah. gush. <laughs> so Herb says, quote, Yesterday my bike was stolen from in front of my house. Nancy Etzweiler, which is a name, who lives down the block, thinks she saw Biff riding it. I went to Biff's house. He was busy in the backyard covering something with a big canvas. So Herb suspects that his bike is what's under the canvas. No, it's his teeth collection, guys. <laughs> it's all intertwined. So Herb didn't confront Biff on the spot out of fear. He is very worried about getting punched in the stomach. He keeps bringing it up, and Encyclopedia <laughs> Brown gets so annoyed. He says, yeah, I heard you the first time. Just give me the facts so that he can solve the case. So Encyclopedia Brown, the genius that he is, takes a metal sheet from his garage and a rope and ties it around his stomach and then puts a large jacket over it so that he just looks pudgy, but also protected in the stomach. And sweaty. 11-year-old body armor. 
Gotta do what you gotta do. Herb is worried that Encyclopedia Brown looks really silly, and Encyclopedia Brown goes, it doesn't matter. All I need is for Biff to call me a fatso, which I guess he's already <laughs> predicting what insult Biff is gonna throw at him, because Biff has never seen Encyclopedia Brown before, so he won't know that he has stomach protection and looks wider than normal. How thin slash what kind of metal do you have? that you can very easily wrap it around a boy. You know, just garage metal. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the regular household metal, Amanda. You know, that really is something that I miss about living in an apartment. Growing up at home, just got coffee cans and nails. Need a nail? <laughs> we got lots of kinds, and I don't have that in my house now. Encyclopedia develops a plan. They are going to hit baseballs into Biff's yard to give them an excuse to go into his backyard. Mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. while they're in his backyard, they'll try to look under the canvas, see if it's the bike, confront Biff, etc. Okay. So Encyclopedia Brown throws a ball towards the canvas in the backyard. The boys hurry through Biff's backyard, which the narrator describes as, quote, a jungle of old tires, bed springs, screens, and cement blocks. Yeah, he's a bully. He's obviously poor. <laughs> I'm fully picturing the neighbor's backyard from Toy Story. Oh, I thought you were going to say Sandlot, which I think is also correct. These are both correct answers. I know. Why is this kid being punished for being hurt and in poverty? Well, he's also a big meanie and slaps slash punches people in the that stomach. he's hurting on the inside, Mike. Yeah, his hurt dad people got... people hurt people. His dad got laid off from the factory. Oh, no. Obviously. Oh, no. That's Stop the trying to turn... That's not me! You guys are trying to turn Biff into a sympathetic character. He has scrap <laughs> in his house! <laughs> in his yard! What if it's all stolen? We're inside a Bruce Springsteen song, and I don't like it. <laughs> this might lose you some Biff favor. Immediately as he sees Encyclopedia Brown, he says, Get away from there, blimp! Aww. He calls Encyclopedia Brown blimp. Biff is not a smart boy. Which is a very dated insult, I must say. Not a smart boy. Also, didn't you see him at school like two days ago? Biff is older. He's never seen Encyclopedia Brown before. This is established as canon. They've never met. I'm sorry, I'm just really concerned about Biff. <laughs> <laughs> so Biff grabs Encyclopedia Brown by the collar says, you know what I'm going to give you two smart guys? The same thing I give all snoopers, a punch in the eye. Now, Encyclopedia Brown and Herb are very worried. Yeah. Because they've not prepared for a punch in the eye. They've only prepared for a slap in the stomach. They ask, why? I thought you normally hit people in the stomach. And he says, I used to, but last kid I hit in the stomach couldn't eat for a week. <laughs> because that's how slaps in the stomachs work. I hit him so hard, I rearranged his internal organs. So Encyclopedia Brown says, oh, you're going to punch a smaller kid in the eye? That's not going to be a good look. And Biff says, good point. I'll just punch you in the stomach. So he rears back and goes for a punch in the stomach. And though Encyclopedia Brown falls back seven feet, no. Biff's hand is destroyed by the metal sheet. No. And he falls over, writhing in pain, screaming, Yeow, yipe, yipe, yipe. Well, the problem was he didn't say Falcon Punch before he <laughs> did it. That is true. That is very true. Or he didn't let out the big Ganondorf <laughs> before he did it, yeah. which, of course, makes your punch undefensible and breaks all shields. Amanda, we're talking about video games? Thank you. No, I'm like <laughs> Super Smash Brothers, the series. I'm thinking about things I can reference, and <laughs> Schneider already took Boxcar Kids, so I'm really just out of my depth here. <laughs> 
It's okay. I, you could talk about Walt Whitman when we're done with the mystery. It's fine. I did check encyclopedias out of the library as a kid, so we nice, can go nice. there. Was that before or after you organized your teeth collection? <laughs> <laughs> I did not have a teeth collection. <laughs> Though two months ago, uh, as you know, Eric, my mom sent me a, or gave me a birthday present months early because she was away during my birthday. In it was like a, a nice little gift and then a bag of stuff from my childhood, most of which was teeth. That's awful. Yep. I ended up um, putting it inside of a, a yogurt container and then away into the garbage because I didn't want a poor person at any point in the trash distribution process to look down and see teeth because that would suck. It's very good. It's very, very good. Biff asks Encyclopedia Brown, what did you eat for lunch, blimp? Nails? Just teeth. (laughs) (laughs) I had a high tolerance for saying the word teeth. Now we've said it too many times. (laughs) So while Biff is on the ground in pain, Encyclopedia takes a look under the tarp and he peels it back. He sees a shiny red bicycle atop the green grass. And he asks Herb, is this your bike? And Herb goes, I think so, but I'm not sure. I only got the bike two days ago and I didn't get a chance to put my name on it. But Biff says, get away, that's my bike. Encyclopedia Brown says, this isn't your bike. You stole this from Herb yesterday. Biff says, no, I got this bike two months ago and it's been under that tarp ever since. But Encyclopedia knows for a fact that the bike was stolen from Herb. How did Encyclopedia Brown know? I love that you've upgraded our supporting character from Herb to Herb. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I don't know how to, He's he could be either. You he know? has enough time to figure it all out. Uh, boo, boo, boo. Don't make, me, <laughs> don't make me detract a point. I have two guesses. You get one. No, I, I know, but I'm, I'm just saying, <laughs> okay. I have a reason that I think Encyclopedia knew it's Herb's and a reason that he thinks it's not Biff's. You know what I mean? Okay. So I have to decide which one to voice. Sure. I'm going to say that if it was there for two months, it wouldn't be shiny anymore. I don't know if that's too simple, but that's my guess. Okay. No, that's what I was saying. I didn't think it would be shiny, especially because of all the scrap in the yard. Like, because if they'd left it out, it means that, yeah, it would have been all rusty and stuff. Okay. You both each get a Misery Loves Company bonus point, because that was my guess. Nice. Bang, bang. If it was shiny, he knew that it was new and not two months old, et cetera. But what it actually is, and I'm kicking myself for not getting this, it said that it was a shiny red bicycle atop green grass. If the tarp was covering it for two months, that grass would have died and it would have been brown. God fucking damn it, encyclopedia. I didn't even hear Mm -hmm. that word. This is the quintessential Encyclopedia Brown case where it was one fucking word. I didn't even hear the word green. I was like, oh, it was red. It was just a classic mystery. I was like, okay, well, how tall? Did they ever say how tall Biff was? Um, was there red paint on Herb's butt? Like, what is it? Obviously, Biff is tending to the lawn when he's home by himself because he's a latchkey kid because <laughs> because of what happened in his oh, family. Oh, no. Life. His dad's drinking his, his uh, misery away. Yeah, because he just got laid off. Oh, beans. From the Idaville factory. All right. I'm not here for this Biff sympathy. He is a criminal. <laughs> and like all criminals, he made one mistake. And that was not knowing that the grass would have been dead under the tarp. Beans. So we get into the final case. The case of Excalibur. Oh, good. Is this? We're tied, right? You are tied at eight to eight. Okay, let's do this. In an ultimate plot twist, Bugs Meanie, the town bully and sworn enemy of Encyclopedia Brown, walks into the agency with a case. He needs help from Encyclopedia Brown. Wow. Like, doesn't Bugs Meanie sound like 
like a little Uzi Vert contemporary. He could be. I also like to think, and this could just be because I've been playing a lot of Kingdom Hearts and they're shadow versions of the characters. Yeah. I'm imagining this is the alternate bad Bugs Bunny. So instead of Bugs Bunny, he's Bugs Meanie and he has angry eyebrows. I was going with early NBA player that you would talk about and that actually happened. That is very close to Muggsy Bogues. True. <laughs> if you kind of mix that around a little bit. Bugs Meanie does sound like someone who is on like the Atlanta Braves. And people don't know, <laughs> he was Jewish. Yeah, they- <laughs> Archibald Bugs Meanie was the quickest second baseman this side of the Mississippi. The Mississippi, Mike. Sorry. Come on, commit to the bit. <laughs> Sorry. He's the one that taught Bob Cousy how to switch hands. <laughs> <laughs> So Bugs Meany wants this job done undercover because he's embarrassed by the whole situation. He says to Encyclopedia, quote, I want you to get Excalibur. And Encyclopedia Brown says, is that worse than a sore throat? I don't know if this is Encyclopedia Brown making a joke or being oblivious, but I feel like Encyclopedia Brown knows what Excalibur is. So I think this is a not well landed joke. Yeah. Excalibur, I barely know her, oh, said no. 11 year old exactly. Encyclopedia exactly. Brown. No, no, no. He definitely is like an, an English folklore nerd and had like a book about the Knights of the Round Table. Yes, I agree. Bugs explains that Woody Fanfingal, yes, that is his name, Woody Fanfingal, who beat Bugs in the Idaville Mumble Tea Peg Championship last year, stole Excalibur from him. Oh, what is Mumble Tea Peg? I know the two of you, as I am as well, are very well versed in Mumble Tea Peg, but just in case anyone out there doesn't know what it is, Mumble Tea Peg is a game involving a pocket knife where <laughs> there are many different varieties. And as we all know and love, and as we've played every day in the Multa Studio, there's a couple of different variations. One of which is you take the pocket knife and you throw it into the ground, and then the other person has to try to remove it from the ground using only their teeth. And then if you get it so deep that the other person can't do it, you win. There's another variation called stretch where you have to throw the knife to get people to stretch their legs out. And then if they fall over from stretching it too far, they lose. There's also one where you try to throw it as close to your own foot as you can. Mm. And then the closer the winner, but if you strike your own foot with your knife, you automatically win. But people don't do this because you cut your foot in the process. And then there's also a version that is played the same way as horse in basketball, where you do different tricks, but the knife has to land in the ground, and then you just go until someone gets horse. Genuinely thought it's just a name for cornhole, and you were just going to be like, we all know this game, it's cornhole. Nope. It's beloved mumble peg, which is sometimes just called mumbly peg. I watched a couple of YouTube videos. I mean, I knew what this was my <laughs> whole life. Uh, this thing is bonkers. You know, dangerous darts, but bad. <laughs> <laughs> a game where you can instantly win by shanking yourself in the foot. Bad. So Bugs clarifies that Excalibur is his new penknife, and he says that he saw Woody taking the knife from the Tiger's clubhouse because it's a good knife, and this is how he's going to kick his butt in future Mumble Peg competitions. Bugs said that he caught him in the act, chased him out of the clubhouse, but then didn't chase after him to beat him up because he has a broken arm, which at first I thought was, oh, look, Bugs Meanie. He has dignity. He's a bully, but at least he has principles. But 
You learn that the real reason is that, apparently, Woody's mom is going to be Bugs' math teacher next year, and he says that if I beat him up, there's no way his mom would like me, and then, quote, I wouldn't be able to pass math next year in a flying saucer. <laughs> okay. So it was self-interest all along. Yeah. Also, Woody's mom is going to hate you anyway because the teachers gossip about you, Bugs Meaty. No one likes you. <laughs> So Bugs says that Woody is currently at the Little League game, so Encyclopedia Brown is going to check it out. But as Bugs leaves, he makes a smirk, and Encyclopedia doesn't like this smirk. So he consults his junior partner, Sally Kimball, for advice. Can I have something about the name Excalibur? I don't think that Bugs Meanie knows King Arthur. To, like, that's very high-minded of Bugs Meanie. I feel like if it was now, Bugs would be like, this is my pen knife, Pickle Rick. See, I thought it was more of a firebolt situation where that was just the name of it, and it's like on the side or something, and someone oh. had to tell him how to say it. Okay, that might be amazing. I thought it was a really clever name because if they are playing the variant where you have to stick it into the ground and pick it up with the teeth, yeah. if it's Excalibur, no one else can pick it up except for the one person. I think it's a great name. No, I agree with you. I think it's too high-minded. I don't think <laughs> Bugs Meanie would get that. Has anyone asked, and I don't think we have because of the death of local journalism, <laughs> if this what whole game fuck? is a plot by Charlie to get more fucking teeth? <laughs> Now, it's funny you mentioned that because Charlie Stewart is featured in this story. Is he looking for teeth like a creep? <laughs> no, you'll see. You'll see. So Encyclopedia talks with Sally. Sally is not feeling this. She says, don't trust him, Encyclopedia Brown. Drop the case. EB says, I don't trust Bugs any farther than I can throw a cheesecake underwater. Um, not far, I guess. <laughs> that's, that's the axiom. That's how he does it. Oh, my God. We all say it. We all know cheesecakes are very buoyant. You could not throw it very far underwater. But Encyclopedia says, still, I'm in business. I take my customers as they come. Sally says, but he lied to you. Woody's mother isn't Mrs. Fanfingle, the math teacher. Woody's mother is Mrs. Fanfingle, the lady barber on Watson Street. Bugs Whoa. is up to no good. So, canonically, there are two people with the last name Fanfingle in Idaville, Indiana. I mean, is the teacher her sister-in-law? They don't say, but you know how Fanfingle is just like Smith, so it's I'm understood. I'm assuming they're related, Mike. <laughs> they never clarify. I'm sorry, I was stuck on how good Lady Barber is as yet another um, gay subtype. <laughs> I really enjoy Lady Barber. I want a case where the Lady Barber needs the help of only Sally Kimball. Oh, Sally is a Lady Barber in training. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> She's the protege Jesus. of Mrs. Fanfingle, the Lady Barber. I thought you were going to say that Fanfingle sounds like a Neopets character, and I was waiting for you to say <laughs> it, but now <laughs> I've said also it. Also does. Also does. It's very good. Or a Hogwarts teacher. I would be giving out so many bonus points for all of this, but it's tied, so I can't. You guys have been very good. Fair, fair. <laughs> no, that's fine. We're, we're love of the game, man. <laughs> I just play for the love of the game. So Encyclopedia Brown says that he's going to need Sally's help. So they ride over to the baseball game. And who do they see? But Charlie Stewart, our favorite tooth boy. Charlie explains that Woody, even though he has a cast on his broken arm from his left elbow down to his fingertips, still gets dressed for every game because his team thinks that brings him good luck. Encyclopedia Brown, while the game is going on, decides he's going to go into the locker room to try to go to Woody's locker, see if the knife is there, etc. What kind of Little League 
team has lockers. That's what I was going to say. That's what I was confused about because this is not how it works. Because they say Little League, it's not school. Right. And the only thing that would make sense for this is school. So I don't understand why there's a locker room. You just have dugouts. It's very confusing. Maybe the 60s was different, but I never played baseball where you went to a locker room first. Or a public park with lockers but then I feel like they wouldn't let children in there. But maybe they're funneling all of the money into the Little League instead of to the police force, which is why Encyclopedia Brown has to do all of this. And also, Charlie becomes a serial killer. <laughs> oh, no. Mindhunter Season 3, Charlie! <laughs> so Encyclopedia goes into the locker room, finds Woody's locker. He finds the knife in the left pocket of his green pants. They clarified that the knife is purple as well, and it has bugs inscribed on the outside of the knife. So you would know it's Bugs's knife. No, this this knife's name is Bugs. <laughs> so once he grabs the knife out of the pocket, the school guard, Mr. Evans, and Bugs Meanie yell, Leroy Brown, from the washroom and accuse him of being the person who has been stealing from the lockers while games are going on. Apparently, this is a rampant problem. They were also apparently just open, so fair enough. Mike, can, I know what it is. Can I write it down on a piece of paper? Sure. Okay, cool. I'll write down my guess, too. Oh, we have more story to cover. So Bugs says, why, look, Mr. Evans, it's my knife Excalibur, the one that Woody Fanfingle stole from the Tiger's Clubhouse half an hour ago. Evans sends Bugs to fetch Woody. When Woody comes in, Evans starts to question him. Woody admits that he went to the Tigers clubhouse, but no one was there, so then he came to the game. I'm assuming he was seeing if someone could help him put his jersey on before he got to the game, but then he went to the game and someone put it on because Charlie says his teammates have to help him get his jersey on, you know, because his arm is broken. Right. Evans wants to take Encyclopedia Brown and Woody up to his office to get them in trouble, but Encyclopedia says that Woody didn't steal the knife and Bugs is trying to frame both of them. How did Encyclopedia Brown know? So Bugs was trying to frame both of them. Yes. Bugs' story was that Woody, like, grabbed it during a game and ran off? Bugs' story is that he saw Woody in the Tiger's clubhouse, grab the knife, run away, and put it into his pocket while he was running away. Sure. So he couldn't have done that because it was in the left pocket, but his left arm is broken. Yeah, that's what I, I'm sending it to you now. That's Me what too. I said. I wrote the word left. That is correct. Now, I knew this was a bit of an easier one, but I chose this because of the description in the back of the book was so funny. It starts off by explaining it, it would have had to have been in his right pocket. His left arm is broken. He couldn't do it. But then the book says, quote, try to put a pen knife in your left pants pocket with your right hand while running. It's impossible. You can't do it, you rube. <laughs> it's impossible. If Woody had stolen Excalibur, he would have put it in his right pants pocket. Smart. Mike, uh, I sent you what mine was, and I said everything you said. I also wrote Amanda Smells mm -hmm. and disbanded the infield fly rule. <laughs> The infield fly rule is actually really good. I support it. So we are tied. And this is the first time we've had it. I'm very excited for a tie. First, kudos to both of you. You solved these very, very well. I'm very proud of the two of you. Thank you. Thank you. Everybody else should watch 20 heist movies in 30 days. <laughs> so now we get into sudden death. This I'm very excited about. So here's how sudden death works. I will read a riddle out loud. This is going to be just a classic riddle, not Encyclopedia Brown. The first person to chime in, just yell buzz, and we'll go family feud rules, where if you're correct, cool. If you're wrong, I will turn to the other person to get a guess. Okay. If it's family feud rules, can I say that sweet fanny? 
Excuse me? If the answer is that, Sweet Fanny, yes. On Family Feud, if ever there's a question that could involve someone saying something like lascivious, like butt, or like sex or something, they always have the most wild euphemisms for it. Yeah. So if you say butt, it's always like, let me see, butt. And then the, the answer is always like, that Sweet Fanny or melons. Where the sun don't shine. <laughs> yes, exactly. But that Sweet Fanny is very lascivious. That's not a euphemism. No, I know. It's always like extra sexy because oh. they like try too hard with the euphemism. Melons is a very good example. Those lovely lady lumps. Yeah, exactly. We're going to watch a compilation video of nasty <laughs> family feud and then we're going to come back. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm excited for the future family feud question. What are other ways to say teeth? <laughs> <laughs> Let me see. Pokies. Sexy biters. Uh, lumps. <laughs> Mouth lumps. Oh, that's something else. Let me see taffy terrors. Okay, so here is the riddle. <sighs> a man is found hung dead in a room with no furniture. Buzz. I what was going to let him fit it. Amanda, what is it? it. No, go it's ahead. in right away. Oh, Amanda, what is it? Stood on a block of ice. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, I thought it was cut the table in half and go through the hole. <laughs> what? It's the other one. That, no, that, it's no, the classic. It. He hung himself because he was standing on a block of ice. Amanda didn't even let me get to the point where I say there was a puddle of water, but she knew it. This had to be the first sudden death riddle. There was no other riddle to do. This is the first riddle ever invented. Amanda, with that sudden death victory, you have earned $50 for City Harvest, and you are the champion of this episode of Meddling Adults. How do you feel? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I have spent most of the last year watching Elementary and reading Agatha Christie. Um, so I feel like all my training and blood, sweat, and tears uh, really, you know, really worked out here. I'm very proud of you. Eric, you did a great job coming in a close second place as well. You put up a good fight. And I am proud of your performance. Honestly, this is perfect for me when I come back from meddling adults redemption. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a better season. Yeah. Better mechanics, more thoughtful. Exactly. Like more all screen star- time. All stars can be kind of protracted, mm-hmm. but redemption is where I can really shine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, thank you both for joining. If people want to find you doing stuff in the podcast world and on the internet, where can they go? Hey, you can find me on Twitter at EL underscore Silvero. That's my name if I was a Lucha Libre wrestler. And you can find me on my show that I have with my Mike Schubert, horse, mm-hmm. or Dungeon Mastering, join the party. Or you can watch, see my work at Next Stop, an audio sitcom that just came out from Multitude. I'm involved in all those shows except for horse as well, and I co-host Spirits, a, a queer, drunken dive into mythology and folklore. I'm at She's So Mickey on uh, Twitter and Instagram, and I like to post a lot of pictures of my plants. So come join me if that's your jam. Oh, very, very good. Very good. And Amanda, you are a part of horse. Your horse is number one fan. <laughs> It's my favorite podcast. I don't know why people don't, (laughs) why every list is not just like horse. And then when you're done, I guess something else. (laughs) Well, Amanda and Eric, thank you so much for joining. Listeners, thank you for listening. And in this case, at least, the people didn't get away with it because we had some really solid meddling adults. Now, if the adults could just check in on the welfare of Biff, I feel like everything will be great. If we could just look into Charlie I was gonna really say, quick Charlie before it gets worse. Yeah, we yeah. need to be preemptive of Charlie so he doesn't grow up to be a teeth-collecting man. Mm, that would be... Yeah. Yeah. 
Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode of Meddling Adults. Meddling Adults is created, hosted, edited, and produced by me, Mike Schubert. It's co-produced by Multitude. The music is by Bettina Campamanes. The art is by Mayan Atias. And the web design is by me and Kelly Schubert. If you want to learn more about the show, you can go to meddlingadults.com. You can follow us on social media. It's at meddlingadults on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And if you want to support the show and help that charity prize pool grow, you can go to patreon.com slash meddlingadults. If you're enjoying the show, you can share your love for it by telling a friend to listen or talking about it on social media or leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you subscribe to the show on whatever podcast app you use so you don't miss the next episode. And speaking of, hope to see you next week.